I want to introduce our last speaker of the day, Richard Ross. Richard is an experienced aquarist that was instrumental in developing cephalopod husbandry at the Steinhardt Aquarium. He has experience with aquariums ranging up to over 200,000 gallons in size. He's a MACNA 2015 Aquarist of the Year, and he's been widely covered in the press on shows including Scientific American, National Geographic, and NPR's Science Friday. Uh, today, Richard is going to be talking to you about coral spawning in aquaria, where we are, and what you can do. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tim. Hello. Check seven. That was really nice of you to say nice things about me and my scratchy voice. Can you guys all hear me okay? We're good? Okay, great. So we're gonna, um, we're gonna be talking about coral spawning, where we are, and what you can do. Uh, just a little bit about me, that's me. I like cephalopods, like Tim said. I have a wife who likes whales. Uh, I have a kid who, when she was little, was very hungry all the time. And uh, now she rides these dragons, and we take um, Halloween very seriously in our house. Uh, at home, this is, uh, from the other day, this is a video of my display tank at home. I have a 400-gallon system. It's distributed throughout the house to um, this tank right here, which I'm liking again right now. Um, the bottom half is NPS and the top half is SPS. We'll talk a little bit about that later on as well. This is the secret home lab that we'll talk about at the end as well because um, I'm going to change this whole lab. But up till now, I've been doing a lot of cephalopod work in that lab with these two cousin species. And I also, I love to show this video anytime I can. It's Dr. Seuss fish eating Nemo, because who likes Nemo? No one. Um, that's using culls, culled clownfish to feed marine predators. I think that's a much better thing to do than fly animals 15,000 miles across the world to be food for some other animal. Um, so I like to encourage that, uh, plus the idea of some people really freak out and that makes me giggle. Uh, I write this skeptical reef keeping series that's, um, that's been a little bit on a hiatus, but will be coming back soon. I'm also doing a podcast uh, with some guy named Fugazi. Uh, it's called the Skimmate Podcast. Check it out. I hope you like it. And I currently work uh, in Rebecca Albright's lab in the California Academy of Sciences, uh, where we're doing coral spawning. And we'll talk a little bit about that and how we're doing that and how you can do that. So the, the point of this talk is to let us, is to kind of give you an overview of how the coral spawning works, both with brooders and spawners, and then to give you some nuts and bolts about how you can do it in your house, uh, both um, a crazy way and a simpler way, right? Because you're hobbyists, some of you, most of you, and hobbyists do amazing friggin' things, and I'm, I, I was thinking about it this year, and I was so surprised that hobbyists aren't breeding, aren't trying to spawn corals yet. Because hobbyists do insane things, um, and this is another insane thing I think more of us should be doing. Uh, I'm going to start with talking about the problem with coral in the world. I think I would be remiss if I didn't at least touch on this. Um, corals are in big trouble. I, I don't know if you watch the news about it, but through a whole bunch of different uh, local and global threats, which we won't go into, I think you know about those. Uh, but the deal is in Florida at least, uh, over the last 50 years, 90% uh, of the coral cover is gone. Just gone, it's over. And uh, this was uh, made very clear to me a couple years ago in the field in the Bahamas, 
when we went diving with a couple of new master's students who never had really been out so much and we went to this one dive site and they came up saying how it was the best site they've ever seen and how fantastic it was. It was Miller's Blue Hole um, in Eleuthera. And uh, I said, I don't know if that's true. And Mitch Carl, if you know Mitch Carl, he, he was there and he went, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. This reef sucks. Um, and it's because people are only looking at what's in front of them now. So, you know, 50 years ago, big chunks of the Caribbean and Florida looked like that, and now they kind of look like this. This is a place called Buck Island. Um, 25 years ago, it was thriving. Now it's not. And this was the first coral graveyard I actually have seen. So this, this entire place is still intact, and they still take boat tours out there to show people and give them lectures about not touching the coral, but that's what it is. It's just rocks now, and in 10 or 15 years, that will all be gone too, um, because the wave action will wear it down, because it's not rebuilding itself. So corals are in trouble, and that's part of the reason why I care so much about figuring out how to spawn them uh, for re re rehabilitation, also just for knowledge, and also spawning corals is like so cool. It's, I, 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 you know, people like spawning fish. They think that's really cool. This is so much cooler than fish. Um, don't tell Todd I said that. Uh, so cor uh, corals reproduce in a couple ways. Asexual reproduction. Most of you are uh, familiar with that, which is when you take a piece of a coral and you cut it and you glue it to a rock, and then you glue that rock to another rock. This is how I do it. I like to prime where... Um, the rock with the coral on it is going with glue and the glue sticks up much faster and you stick it on, you can let go almost immediately. You see this all the time out on the shelf floor and I'm sure most of you do that at home. In uh, reef restoration, same thing. Uh, you make a coral fragment, you grow it out, you wait a little while, then you figure out a better way to do it that grows them much bigger and then you get a lot of people to swim around and glue corals down to the reef. Whether if that's a viable way to do it long term, we're not sure yet. The survivorship of these transplants is, is not, well, is in question, at least in my mind. And it's also very expensive, and it takes a long time, and it's a lot of work. Um, you know, if you make 50,000 corals over two years, that's a, that's a lot of work. In one spawning event, um, you know, in the easy spawning event we did last season, we had 120,000 larvae uh, in a day. Uh, you still got to grow them out, but man, that's a lot, that's a much bigger scale. Um, an overview of coral sexual reproduction uh, in spawners. Um, it's uh, tied to a lot of seasonal events, like the full moon. Uh, by the way, if you ever see a full moon that that's big, and you're on the beach there with your honey, kiss them because you're about to die because that's a giant moon hurtling towards the world going to crush us all to death. This is clearly photoshopped, but I like the picture a lot. Um, corals uh, spawn. They're, they're an animal that uh, is a rock as well, and it doesn't move around, except when it's uh, a larvae, right? So these... Uh, in most cases, or a lot of cases, these sperm egg bundles are released by the coral. They go up to the surface, they break apart, different genotypes mix. Uh, you get fertilized eggs, they develop, and then you get a larvae that swims around looking for a place to live forever. And I, I'm still amazed by that, that corals have a stage in their life where they move and they're shopping for a good apartment. Uh, this is the first time I ever saw coral spawning. Uh, it was in the Philippines. We were there on expedition in 2011, and 
we were swimming around on a night dive and did not expect to see this. And who's, I'll wait for the phone. No, and we were swimming around and we saw these little things in the water and we weren't sure what they were. And then the three of us together all at the same time kind of screamed and went, oh my God, that's coral spawning. And then we had an hour and a half with coral spawning uh, and it was fantastic. I never thought I'd see that ever. And uh, we saw it luckily um, and now I've seen it a bunch of other times. From the air, the coral spawn looks pretty amazing. Um, you can see the slick. Actually, that's, that's the elevator uh, in, the, in the room. So sorry about that. Um, the coral, the fertilized corals um, go up uh, to the, I'm going to do it like this. They go up to the surface of the water and they form these slicks that you can see from the air. Um, all of those, those lines in the water are, are conglomerations of coral spawn, whether they be freshly fertilized. Uh, it must be freshly fertilized because otherwise they'd be swimming around. And they hang out together. The eggs and sperm go up and they kind of stick together, which is the point, so that they can mix. If they're too far apart, nothing happens. But the idea that you can see that from the air just blows my mind. That's like, that's like, like the weirdest porn ever right there. Only I like that joke. I'll never do it again. <laughs> this is a, um, a close-up. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if they were that big? These are the sperm egg bundles. They're huge. Um, and you can see that it takes them about an hour to break apart. And you, I like this picture because you can see the, the sperm and the egg. Uh, then they develop uh, in various ways. This is called the cornflake stage because it looks like a cornflake to someone. I, uh, I guess it kind of does if you squint. Uh, that's how big a larvae is. Uh, that's my finger. So that's my fingerprint just to give you an idea of the scale we're talking about. Uh, here's a cool video of them swimming, which just blows my mind. Um, and then here's another uh, idea for scale. That's a settled coral, and that's kind of what they look like with a scale bar. So that's kind of the general idea of how coral spawning works. Other sexual reproduction is uh, what we call brooders. And this, this we, I did 10 years ago. Uh, a lot of people were doing it 10 years ago and never really caught on as something people seemed interested in. I think uh, because Poslopora is kind of one of the corals that's very easy to do, and for some reason people didn't, fell out of love with this coral. Um, I think it's a great coral, uh, and it's such a great coral, and it comes in different colors, and it's really easy to work with. Uh, you just need a fist-sized piece, and it's gonna spit out larvae ready to go. So it's got internal fertilization. Um, so the larva comes out, ready to swim and find a place to settle, already with um, zooxanthellae in it. So it's kind of really robust. Uh, and this is uh, a guy who's got, he's, we've just made a, um, a micron mesh sleeve. So the corals live in a, t in a water table or a tank that's only about this deep. Uh, what's that, 15 inches? No, that's a, like eight inches. And um, at, at night, <laughs> you put that sleeve over the coral, so it gets water, goes through it, but the larvae can't get out of it. You come in in the morning and you look in there and you see these larvae, which these, these larvae are pretty big, and you see them swimming around and you can collect them and then wait for them to settle or put them where, where they will settle. Um, I love them. They're like cute maggots. I think they're just awesome. Uh, and they swim around like that. I guess I'm the biggest nerd about this stuff. Um, this is one searching around. 
looking for a place, or two actually, looking for a place to settle. Uh, I always hope I'm going to get footage of them actually settling, uh, but they always just land and then you're going, yes, yes, and then two minutes later they go, I'm going over here now, and they go off camera. Um, this is settled um, Postlopora damacornis larvae. Uh, we had the larvae that were just in an overflow, so we had a cube with the coral in it, and it would overflow all night into this, um, uh, into a container with a mesh side, so the water flowed out, but the larvae couldn't get out. And one night they all settled in there, and you know that's that's a lot of coral. And this coral's really easy to do. They 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 look like this more close up. Um, they're really robust, and they grow pretty quickly. And uh, pretty soon you could have a whole nest of Postlepora that you can share with your friends. I think that's cool enough to do on its own. I don't think you need to be able to sell these. I, I, you know, people breed clownfish initially because it's cool, not because it's a way to make a living, which it's harder to do now than it was before. Um, it's worth doing. Uh, another, another brooder is the Tubastria, and I think this is a video of them. Uh, all the ones you see there on the left, those are all settlers. They all settled there themselves. I did absolutely nothing to them. Um, and there's some more over there. And there's one up on the top on the right there that I didn't even know was there until I was filming, which is why the camera was bouncing around. And I think I move around to the back as well. Uh, that's not one. There's some down there on the bottom. That's a different dendro. And there's some up way at the top behind this fish's butt. Um, so I did nothing with these, but I have a ton of them now. Um, they just spit out larvae in the tank and they settle. Just keep them fed. Do that. It's really cool. And people actually want these corals more than Postlepora now, so you can actually sell these. Why you should work with corals? Because it's awesome. Did I say that enough? It's really cool. There's no other reason that you actually need to do it. It's friggin' awesome. Do it. You're a hobbyist. You have the time and space. You're doing crazier stuff right now with your reef, I would guarantee now, than spawning some of these corals. Um, you know, you go to great lengths to have water outside that you can pump in. You, you do all kinds of things. This is not that much more. Um, and I think we forget because the science and ability to work with these spawning corals is new, we forget how much that hobbyists actually have made progress in the realm of keeping coral, right? So hobbyists really figured out how to keep Acropora in the first place. Um, you know, hobbyists make 20,000 gallon tanks in their living rooms. Um, hobbyists have whole rooms in their houses devoted to extra tanks. Um, hobbyists are great, and hobbyists are so great, especially in the distributed sense of coming up with new information. So it's basically, the more people we have, now that the floodgates are open on how to do this, and we'll talk some more about that, um, we need more people doing it. So if you, and you don't need a big system, I'll show you about that, um, but we need more information, and the more replicates we have, the more we'll know how to do it, and the faster, right? Um, the genie's out of the bottle, let's make some of those wishes. So what do you need to do it? Why should you work with corals? Apparently this is the same exact slide that I just talked about, uh, because hobbyists are awesome. All right, so this is the, at the academy, we built this system, I'm gonna take you through it so you see what it's like. The uh, people doing this now, this is Jamie Craggs. Jamie actually decided to do this, and that's why we can all do it. He started five or six years ago, and uh, he's got a paper which um, 
talks about most of this stuff and gives you the information you need. So for a lot of this, you don't need to take notes if you want, uh, but we have to, uh, and I love this picture on him because he looks like, like a modern Jesus, and, uh, and I love that so much. Um, and he's a good guy, and he's still doing more work on it. So we all homage to him. Rebecca decided to get the funding for us to do it at the Academy. They're doing it as well at the Florida Aquarium. Uh, this is a project that's been going on for several years, and um, this just happened last week, or the week before. This is pillar coral, and, um, and it spawned for, it's critically endangered, and it spawned for the first time in tanks last week. So it's, it's very cool stuff. This is the area where we decided to build our spawning system. It's not very big, that's a 400 gallon um, raceway and like a 100 or 200 gallon um, reservoir at the end. You can see the three metal highlights were above it. It's not the biggest area. I think the entire uh, volume of the room is about 600 feet. It's less than 600 feet. That's why we didn't need sprinklers in it, fire sprinklers. Um, we built a rack for uh, six 67 gallon tanks. They're uh, 36 inches by 18 inches by 24 inches deep. Um, so you don't, you could just do one of these. The reason we did multiples of these is because we wanted to work with different species and we also wanted to make it easier to deal with um, different genotypes of coral going, keeping the genes separate. So um, I might be getting ahead of myself, but basically you can either keep the genes separate and keep track of the crosses you're making or just make a coral sperm and egg soup and fertilize it. And I think that's what most of us would do. We don't really care so much about tracking genotypes. We just want to make it happen. The thing that makes it work is we box the room in so it's really a dark room. This is kind of what it looks like from the top. And here's a vestibule. You go into this door, you close this door, you pull, and then you open this curtain. You can go into the room. The reason for that is we want to control light is the main thing we want to control. We'll get to that. If I forget to say we're not sure what we can leave out of this equation, someone remind me of that when we're getting down to the nuts and bolts. Um, but this is what we do because we want to we want to make it work because somebody gave us a lot of money to make it work, so we're not going to experiment that much when we just have one system. Um, this is an idea for the scale of the system. This is uh, it getting painted before it gets closed in, and now it's a very attractive room from the outside that no one can see anything with. We also, um, it's controlled by the apex, which we'll talk about. It's impossible to do without them. They came down and were helpful in setting it up. Um, and this is what the control center looks like. I wanted to make, <laughs> I wanted to make that mess of cables not a mess of cables. I'm kind of known for not caring about messes of cables. When we set this up, I thought, I'm gonna make this beautiful so I can show it off and everyone will go, ooh, that's beautiful. Uh, the engineers at the academy wouldn't let me <laughs> because they wanted to be able to unplug and plug in anything whenever they wanted to, which, which made me scream because they shouldn't touch any of this. But in case something happened, they wanted that. I even have right here, I had one bundle of cables um, with, a, with a bendy tie. Uh, and uh, one weekend, they came in and took that out and threw it away. So usually it's my fault that it's a mess. This one wasn't. This is, um, and that's what the lab looks like uh, from the inside. Um, stocking the lab. This is how we did it. Um, we flew to Palau and got permits and went and collected our own corals. Uh, and that's really fun. 
we also were looking for, sorry, this one's out of focus, but we were also looking for corals that were gravid. So we went in, the first time we went in February, and we wanted to collect corals that would hopefully spawn in March or April, and then keep them for the next year, and then spawn them the next year, right? We wanted results quickly, so that's what we did. Uh, and you, it's called cracking the coral, and you crack a branch off, and you look to see if there's eggs, and those are the ones we collected because we knew they would spawn for us. Um, collecting coral isn't always easy or fun. Um, you know, that surge is moving us a meter or two back and forth while we're trying to break off a little piece and look at it and see if we can see eggs or not. Uh, in another location, it was just kind of dreamy and I uh, had a shopping basket and that made me laugh a lot. So how are you guys going to get your corals? Uh, I don't know if you can arrange to go somewhere and collect them yourselves. You probably can. Um, I don't know why Cans Marine wouldn't let you hire them to do that with you. Uh, but you can ask your vendors to collect your corals for you. And, and the, the important thing is that you say that they know that you want the same species of coral from as far apart as they can collect them on the reef. It's, the odds are that's a great coral and a great patch. You don't want four or five pieces from that patch. It's very likely those are all uh, clones. Those are all the same. Um, and they won't fertilize itself. <laughs> I look at you and think of insane things to say and then have to stop before I say them. Um, so yeah, if you're like, uh, when we're collecting, we want to be at least 50 meters apart from where we're collecting. We figure that's pretty good to get different genotypes. Um, you, it's, it, it, it's not that hard to ask a vendor to ask their collector to get that for you or talk to the um, collector themselves and figure out a way you know, for you to get it shipped to somebody in the States that you can pick it up from. Um, I don't think that's a stumbling block at all. It's just a little bit of work. So nuts and bolts for this. This is the paper that's got all the details in it, in the supplementary materials. It's easy to find. Jamie Craig spawning paper will get it for you. Or Facebook me or email me and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll point you to it. Um, of course, the apex is an important thing. Um, we're all using the apex because it lets us do it. Specifically, it's got the season table effect. Um, which is really good. And these are the parameters you care about. This is what you need to do, kind of. You need to pick a place to simulate the time. You need to pick a spot in the world to simulate. Whether that actually means you have to get corals from that spot or not is a whole different question. Um, one of the things Jamie's working on now is shifting the corals um, to spawn in different times, right? So if you can control all the cues, which we can, and these are all the cues that we care about right now. Um, you can manipulate those cues to make spawning season happen at different times of the year. Uh, and Jamie's far enough along now that he's gotten some success with it, and he's expecting a great deal of success uh, actually in the next few months. So you pick a spot. If you pick the spot from where your corals are being collected, you might be able, and you get them collected three or four months before the spawning, you might be able to get a spawn in three or four months. If not, um, you just let them ride for the year, and then the next year they should be able to spawn for you. Also, I, I wanted to say, if you don't actually care about making baby corals and you just want to take the easiest first step, all you want to do is make a spawn happen. That's cool enough on its own, right? So you can do that with a bunch of corals you just get out here. 
on the show floor and let them grow for a year, and that should be long enough for them to develop uh, the gametes and get in sync with the program you're going to put into it. So you don't even have to, I mean, I mean seriously, if, if you've not seen coral spawning, uh, man, it's worth it. It's just the craziest, most amazing thing for coral head to see. Um, so you pick a place, wherever it is, and then you do a little bit of research. This is about 20 minutes. Uh, you find out what the sunset and the sunrise times are um, for that place across the year. That's easy to find. The moonrise and the moonset times, that's also easy to find. Uh, I would just Google that and it comes up. The day of the new moon. Um, and then these next two are a little bit harder to get. You want to get the, uh, because some of the, um, the NASA sites are no longer available. Um, which is a horrible, horrible uh, thing, which we don't need to talk about, but hopefully they'll come back soon. Um, the temperature data for that area, so you can um, uh, simulate that. And then the other one that we do is the solar irradiance, or the, the intensity. That changes over the course of a year. And I'm going to break each one of these down um, to, uh, with the programming and so you can see what we're doing or what needs to be done. The other important thing here is that corals spawn usually a few nights after the full moon, uh, three or four, anywhere from two to four hours after sunset, right? So what sucks about trying to do it like that is you have to stay up that late every night. But with the apex, you just tell your tank that it's a different time. And so all of a sudden, what would be 9 p.m., in the place in the world where you want it to be 9 p.m. is not 9 p.m. where you live. It's whatever time is convenient for you to sit in front of your tank and wait for a spawn. All right? So the two different times there are the local time and what the apex is set to. And that, that's also very easy to figure out. This is the sunrise and sunset season table. So to get to the season tables now in Fusion, you have to be connected locally to the apex. Uh, which is also very easy. And um, you can find out how to navigate to that. And then you get this pull-down menu with a bunch of choices. And all you do is for January, February, March, April, for each month, you go through, and the sunrise and the sunset times that you looked up, you just input them, okay? And then you're going to do some programming on the lights that will tell them how to use this information. Uh, same with the moonrise and the moonset. Um, and it's pretty surprising when, how fast the moon rise and moon set changes. Um, so you would have, a, the, with the Apex, you would have the lunar simulation module. And it doesn't need very much. I have them turned to the ground. They only need a, a, tiny, like, a tiny bit of light to be able to trigger them. Um, but you do need that module, if I didn't mention that. Uh, then the date of the new moon, so the Apex knows when to start doing the moon rise and moon cycles. Seems pretty easy so far. Temperature, super easy. You just put in the temperature for each month, and then the apex will ramp through up and down depending on the month. It, and doing this before seemed daunting and impossible, right? Can you imagine every day for a year adjusting the temperature and the intensity and the moon cycles um, with a dial timer maybe? I don't know. It seems crazy that you, it just seems like an impossible task. Now it's pretty easy. This is the solar iridians, uh, and you can see 
Temperature does the same thing. It spikes uh, in summer, and that's when the spawning's gonna be, and then it drops uh, down to about 60%, 65% is about as low as it gets. And then it's got another peak in the middle there, and then it drops down again and rises. So it's just, we think it's that double hump of seasonality that helps trigger. Uh, temperature does the same, the, the same double hump pattern. Uh, then you make a graph of the intensity changes, the percentage. Because, and you can see, not a graph, I'm sorry, this is a spreadsheet. This is a graph. This is a spreadsheet. Graph, spreadsheet. That's for me to remember those two. Um, you can see the month has got week one, two, three, and four in there, so I can check off each week as I make a change to the intensity. It's the only part of the system that we can't get the microcontroller to do by itself uh, because it's an insane thing to want to do. Nobody thought anybody would want to do that. I can't believe that anybody thought we'd want to control our tanks seasonally at all, that they built that into the, into the back of the apex. Um, so maybe they'll put this in sometime or another controller will do it. This is a profile, and there's three profiles that are used for the lights. And uh, there's a sunrise, uh, a midday, and a sunset. I'm going to be doing some research on that uh, next season. Uh, but you can see where it's got start overall intensity and end overall intensity down uh, the bottom two, and a ramp time. So this must be sunset. So the ramp time is saying take a 180 minutes start at zero intensity, and then in 180 minutes get to 77% of the intensity of the lights. And then it switches to the midday, which is also at 77%, although I have a new idea for that. And then it's got a sunset, which does this, but in reverse. And so once a week I go in and I change the three profiles. In the sunset, uh, in the sunrise, I change the, start, the end intensity to whatever it needs to be. To the um, midday, I change both of them to the same number because that's what I want them to be the same day. And then uh, the one, the starting intensity on the sunset one. It's really straightforward. Uh, but you just have to do that every, every, every week. And then this is the magic coding that we're using in, in each of our radions, right? Um, I think it's pretty similar. I don't know what we changed. I think I changed one or two things. Um, so it's, it's just saying, uh, if the sun table says whatever that code means, then use sunrise. If it says this one, use sunset. And if it says the third one, then do midday. So it's just telling it when to, when to do what you're telling it to do through the profile. Does that make sense? There are profiles that, the, uh, that, are, that you can point the apex to to tell a light to do something. So this code is in every one of our lights. And it's actually easy, you can, you can just copy it um, automatically within each light. You don't have to even copy and paste it. You can say this light be like the first light you put the code into. Um, and then I've got a red fixture. That's um, not a red fixture. If, if I flip a virtual outlet, that's, what's it called? Red fixture one. Um, then it turns all the lights red. So when it's dark, it's like there's another profile that's all red. That's at like 10%. So if you want to check what's going on when it's dark with your corals, you can see the red light doesn't seem to affect the spawning so much. The idea is that any other light will affect the spawning. Now, is that true or not? We're not sure. There's a lot of this we're not sure about. This whole list here, we think all of these have an impact. But the truth of the matter is, 
Hobbies get spawning not infrequently in their tanks. And they're often not doing any of this stuff. So something's cueing them to go. Um, a year after I saw that very first spawning that I showed you, we collected some of those spawning corals and brought them back. And a year after, I caught one of them spawning. So, and we were doing really nothing. You know, at the, at, at the aquarium, they had 12-hour days. And then they would have crazy night events that the lights would stay on for. So we're not really sure what in here actually matters or doesn't matter. It could be just one thing. Um, we'll get to a little bit of that. Or was I? So let's say you do get a spawning. And let's say you do want to try to make baby corals. Right? I'll show you this video and I'll kind of talk you through it. This is what's called setting. You can see it looks different than what corals normally look like. That's actually worth going back for. Um, the setting is when the eggs are, egg bundles are about to push through the polyp and escape and do this. So that happens about half an hour before the corals spawn. Uh, the egg sperm bundles float up to the surface. So when you think a spawn has come, you turn off all the flow in the tank. So you, otherwise all that stuff goes straight down into your skimmer, into your sump, which isn't the best place for it. And um, you collect, it's just, I, I, it's still really cool. I'm still captivated by that. Um, you collect the stuff and you put it uh, in, a, in a beaker and you wait about an hour for the sperm and eggs to separate and then you dilute the sperm down because too much sperm is no good. That's, everyone knows that. Uh, and then you put them together uh, and you're very excited like Rebecca was there and you let them sit for about an hour and then they're fertilized and then if you want to watch over 24 hours you can see each development stage. Uh, and then you put them in. You don't need to do it like this. This is uh, some kind of uh, crazy filtered thing that will make our lives easier. But you can do it in a bucket. In fact, sometimes we get better results in a bucket. And then you got coral larvae swimming around looking for places to settle. That's really cool. That's a coral. That's Acropora hyacinthus. And so is that. Once it's settled, and sometimes you get a bunch of them settling together. And uh, that's what they look like on a plug, kind of for scale. And then uh, we'll talk about urchins. If you can get uh, baby urchins, if you want to spawn baby urchins to help keep the settlement substrates clean, that's probably not a bad idea. Uh, so that's what it kind of looks like. The spawn goes up to the surface and sits there. If you're just making coral soup, you're all good. You just scoop that off the surface with a cup, and it'll flow in, and, and you'll have a cup full of sperm egg bundles. These are um, fat separators that are used for turkeys. Not turkeys, what is it, gravy for gravy? Um, these are really nice because the eggs will float to the top and then you can pour the sperm out uh, to uh, dilute it and add water back in without losing the eggs. This is, um, that's more porn. That, that's, that's sperm and eggs together. This is what we call the lemonade color of sperm. You want a lemonade density which is such a weird metric, but that's the one we all use. And you want kind of a light lemonade, not really like a thick, crazy Mike's Hard lemonade. So that's kind of what it looks like, but there's a wide range. You know, everyone's trying to zone in on what's the perfect uh, density, uh, but I'm pretty sure that each species is going to have its own density, so lemonade is good enough. That's what it looks like. You wait an hour or two, and then you're all good. Then you put them in your bucket, or in, uh, this is a big uh, Artemia cone, that we've made so it's got flow through. 
um, but you don't need to do that. Like I said, we do trials every time with the same thing in a bucket, which is some mesh on the sides, and you just push the bucket up and down a couple times a day, and it flushes the new water through and keeps them clean. We actually use these because of the, the amount of larvae we, we, we get and we plan to get. I think we do um, we like, like 4,000 larvae per each one of those, something like that. And then they settle. This was all in the video. Um, caring for the baby corals, if, you're, if you want to go that far. This is where I think hobbyists can be really helpful and, and, and figure out ways to do things. Um, you're fighting everything, right? On this micro scale, it's always a fight between every piece of life on there. Everything wants to win and better itself. So while coralline algae uh, is a nice place often for corals to settle, it will also outcompete the settled coral. Um, I'm sorry, you also, if, if you want to settle the corals, get a bunch of frag plugs two months before, three months before you think a spawn is going to happen, stick them in your sump or your tank, let them develop some um, biological load, some coralline algae growing, and then you're done. Just leave them alone, and then you just put them in a rack and let the corals uh, put them in a in, a, in your bucket when the when the man that's not even words when the larvae start to swim and search. Um, you can see here that some of these corals have uh, uptaken zooxanthellae and some haven't. Um, generally, if you've got this in a system with other corals, you don't they'll uptake zooxanthellae on their own. You don't have to intervene at all. Um, and because we don't really care to keep these biosecure, we don't care what clade of zooxanthellae they take up. We just want them to live. That's where I think most of this research really is. It'd be so much easier if we could just soup it instead of having to keep everything separate, um, which is why hobbyists are uh, a driver I would like to get in the seat to make more of this happen. Um, but you can see, you can absolutely see the coralline fighting over there. Regular algae will fight as well. These are ones that weren't doing very well for whatever reason. You can see that the polyp is uh, retracted, but it does have zooxanthellae, but there's no flesh over the skeleton. So that's, that's a bad sign. You want things to look more like that. And actually, this is, this is one of the first ones that we had that uh, we, we were screaming when we saw this. Not only does it have zooks in it, but the polyp on top is new growth. So that made us very, very happy. This was in, in April. Uh, and then this was the other day. This is one of the babies at five months. Um, so the, you're fighting with everything. You don't want to put big snails and big urchins in there because they can scrape the baby corals right off your substrates. Um, tiny urchins, another Jamie Craig's idea is let's co-culture urchins and snails so they're so small that they can't really hurt the baby corals. That works really nicely. It also turns out, anecdotally so far, but I hope to have more information for you next year, that most of the time people seem to put too much light on the baby corals and then they get algae overgrowing them very quickly. Uh, when I noticed that was happening, I moved all the babies to one side of the tank, moved the radions all the way to the other side of the tank, dropped the intensity so the light was about this far from the coral, um, barely getting any light and they did just fine and we really didn't have any algae overgrowth. We did also have baby urchins, which uh, all of it is helpful. Um, and that seems like a lot um, and seems hard, but, but so is keeping a reef tank. Now, if you've kept a reef tank for any amount of time, I think you can certainly do this. Things I'm doing at home. 
So what am I doing at home? I'm going to convert the secret home lab uh, away from cephalopods into coral. So I'm going to pull those, four th those two tanks out of there, put a new rack in, and put four different tanks in there. Um, put another apex on that system because I'm probably going to close that system off and uh, I want it to be light, light proof. Um, and I want to change the time of that system so it's not, again, so it's not spawning at midnight. It'll be spawning at 7 o'clock when I'm home just hanging out anyway. Um, I'm going to pick a lunar cycle for the display. I've got whatever lunar cycle that it picked by itself. When you put that on, it decides one. But I'm going to pick one and, and see if that'll do anything to the home display. Stuff in there is big enough to spawn, no problem. I'm also going to pick a heat cycle for the display. Instead of it randomly doing whatever it does in my locale, I'm going to control that. I'm also going to pick a sunset and a sunrise cycle. Um, I haven't decided, I, I like to look at the tank late at night, so that'll probably have to do with the timing that I pick, that, that it goes to sleep around 10 o'clock. We'll see if we can get a spawn or not. Um, and those are easy things you can do now if you're running an Apex at home. You know, Sanjay, you could just throw on any of those things and not do the rest of it. Not, not do, or if you have a frag tank, I mean, if you have a frag tank, this is a no-brainer. You, you can put a curtain around it so you can do what you need to do when you do it, but then you can put it on a heating cycle and put a couple colonies in there and see if you can get them to spawn. Um, and you can just do one of these on your tank and see if you can get a spawn. I mean, what a great bunch of um, distributed research we have here. Um, you know, I can't just take our one spawning system and say, I'm just going to do the lunar cycle and see what happens, because we need to have results so we can get more funding, right? That's how that works. Uh, but you guys can do whatever you want. That's the best thing about having tanks in your house. Um, so I, I encourage you to do some of that stuff um, and to start playing with it and start reaching, researching it. There's a couple of Facebook groups, Captive Coral Spawning, where there's a lot of people who will help you do whatever you want to do. Um, thank you for your attention. These are glitter lines. Um, that's a joke for two people. And uh, thank you, and if you have any questions, we have some time. <laughs>